Michael Testify, not so live with me, Jay Evans. I'm joined by a panel of gents today, all of whom are from Saffron Building Society, but all will become apparent as we go through this podcast as why all the gentlemen are here. Um, just before, I'll, I'll do the caveats first. Just um, a, a few caveats from us. We do talk about news topics that are in the specialist media and the mainstream media, and the opinions that we um, give out over this podcast are our own and not necessarily that of our employers. We're recording at the end of January 2024, so some of the things we discussed may be slightly out of date by the time you listen. Boring but done. Uh, let's go around the room and say uh, hello to everyone. Tony, welcome. Yes, thanks, Jay. Welcome, everybody. My name is Tony Hall. I'm the Head of Business Development here at Saffron, and this is the first time I get to change my description of what I do, because I'm delighted to say that I've now got an enlarged role, and outside of helping all intermediaries um, with everything to do with residential and buy-to-let, I'm now responsible for supporting our developers who are building homes for other people to live in, so providing that full full um, opportunity now. So really excited to work with um, brokers and developers um, to build the houses we need to. Good stuff. Well, we've, we've got more topics that we can discuss on the podcast, so that makes us all very happy, yeah. I'm sure. And regular again to the podcast, Phil, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, Jay. Very well, thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, so I'm Phil Lawford. I'm the National Account Manager at Saffron for Intermediaries, uh, and I look after our key broker and intermediary relationships. Thanks, Phil. And um, we're welcoming back someone who hasn't been with us for a little while, Lee Williams. Hello, Lee. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. You? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Just a brief description uh, for those that might have not heard you on your previous podcasts. Yeah, so I'm Lee Williams, Business Development Manager, um, looking after the South West and the South Coast. So I work very closely with my broker partners to maximise the opportunities that our proposition provides them, their business and their customers. Wonderful. Brilliant stuff. Well, I should really go on to explain why all three of you are here, um, because I think the stories also relate to what I'm about to, to talk about. For any brokers listening who have read the uh, mortgage press over the last certainly couple of weeks, will have noticed a slight shift in in the way that um, Saffron and I would say other lenders are uh, talking. And we've had a volatile mortgage market and we've had lots of changes in the industry. And Tony, I'm going to come to you first on this, but we're kind of adding, changing, moving around the categories of building size to a degree and talking about complex lending. Do you want to give the brokers a bit of a, an introduction to complex lending, what it means and what you're trying to achieve? Because I think it'd be better come from you than it would be from me. Yeah, thanks. Look, it's, you know, we've got, we've got generally two descriptors in the mortgage market at the moment. You've got mainstream or high street everybody kind of knows what that is and then you've got specialist lending and specialist lending grew out of a kind of classification probably some 15 years ago or so and specialist lending is where everybody that's not mainstream is categorized under however not all of us are really what's classified as specialist lenders if you ask brokers and we have done this extensively recently we get the feedback that specialists is all about um comp um <laughs> no, it's not all about complex. There you go. That's, that's the thing it's not about. Um, it's about um, bridging and seconds and kind of adverse lending, uh, which all are very, very um, relevant markets for the right customers. But it's not our market as a building society and what we do. So we're all about complex lending. So that is anything really that the high street or the mainstream lenders don't wish to spend their time looking at um you know it might be multiple income sources it might be property construction it's just anything that doesn't really meet the model but we we're not specialist we are complex so we're on we're on this mission to try and redefine um a space in the market to make it really clear for brokers who they need to speak to, mainstream, complex, or specialist. Okay, that I think that was pretty explanatory. Um, I presume this is born out of 
um, a need to sort of have a better description of what you do. I guess, I mean, we, you know, anyone that's followed us when we did the SFR Live webinar series and even follows this podcast where we've talked about criteria change, I think, Tony, it's fair to say you would have naturally, you are naturally leading this change in shifting categories. So will other lenders follow suit? Are there other lenders like Saffron who will also fall into this category? Look, I think you'll see more and more, if I'm honest. You know, we are in that in that group of building societies that all have, through their structure of how they conduct their business, um, lend themselves to be really useful for complex lending because it's all about the, the um, you know, the signature underwrite, the personalised underwriting, the support you get. So we're just one of that group. And I know of a number that, when I've mentioned this uh, industry events recently, have gone, oh, yeah, that makes absolute sense. So, you know, and we, we, Phil and Lee and everybody else, have spoken to our distributors as well and explained this, and they're all nodding as well, which I'm sure Phil or Lee can give you some support on. So there's a real uh, need to do this. And I think there's also what you'll see is quite a few lenders who might be in the challenger bank category are also looking to how do they develop their diversified strategy to remain relevant going forward so i think you'll see perhaps some of those creeping into the complex lending descriptor as well so i think it's going to be an interesting year for it this year Okay, good stuff. Phil, uh, I think Tony um, plugged you quite nicely there to talk about some of your partners and the reaction we've had um, and, you know, what it what it means for them. I mean, it, it, obviously having a, a better description of, of what Saffron do and who Saffron are, that's going to only benefit in uh, the brokers in that respect, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I spend a lot of time talking to our uh, key strategic relationships that we work a lot closer with, and uh, you know, they, they they're all in agreement that there's this space. You've got like the high, the big high street lenders that are very, they've got a criteria. They're probably credit score driven, very automated, and that caters for the easy business. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got specialist lenders who are you know well established. And and do those areas of lending that, that Tony mentioned earlier, the, the adverse seconds and bridging, they do it really, really well. And then there's this like gap in the middle of uh, of that between uh, you know, the high street and the specialist. And that's where I suppose complex lending needs to establish itself and be and, and be defined because it's all of that stuff that's just not quite straightforward. And we're seeing so much more of it now. Um, and I think some of the reasons are what probably why it's more important to broker community than ever is um, the year started well. It started with some optimism, which is great. We've seen rates falling, but we're I suppose we're not out of the woods yet. I think the year is still going to be challenging. Um Inflation has been really stubborn and sticky, and it's it's although it's it's coming down. We, we we saw very recently inflation just just creep up again slightly. Um, so we're optimistic that the Bank of England will reduce the bank base rate. But you know, my personal opinion is I don't think it will be too. I don't think it'll be any time soon until they're confident that inflation is is coming down. Uh, so what that means is it presents a challenge of affordability to the market. So um, ONS data, it's the Office of National Statistics, that um, a lot of lenders use that to assess affordability. So ONS data is still high because inflation's high. Um, and a lot of lenders also use their... Um, re- revert to rates. That's the rate that mortgage maturing products will go on to to a stress test affordability as well. So with these affordability challenges, uh, the remortgage opportunities are are diminished. So brokers are having to do more product transfers. So from a an income perspective, a broker firm might be writing the same amount of business, um, but earning less income. So so this is where embracing new 
opportunities that needs to be maximised uh, and not filed under the too complicated to help category because of not not just not just us although Saffron we are you know committed to this complex space there's lots of other or there are other lenders there as well can help so you know it, I think it represents a really good opportunity for brokers who are willing to look a bit deeper and look at what else is out there in the market to help them you know grow new business uh, avenues uh, Lee, Phil queued you up there as well. You deal with brokers day in, day out, as opposed to the other guys, probably a lot more brokers than the other two guys put together. So, yeah, talk about the brokers. What does it mean for them? Yeah, it was almost like we planned this, wasn't it? I know, it? Um, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, from, from my point of view, this has already gone down to a lot of broker level in the sense that I've been having a lot of conversations with brokers where they're seeing that there is this need for this classification. Because if you're a broker that's jumping from mainstream to specialist and potentially missing out the complex, actually, they are some fantastic outcomes for customers that are being missed. And... A lot of that is down to education. It's about where, how to approach it. Um, obviously, we're keen to to work, um, you know, with, with our broker partners to help with that. But by having this classification, I think that it just really highlights the market much more than it currently is. Um, the need is there. I mean, Phil's articulated that massively. I mean, brokers, whether they want to do it or not, the market is huge in this area and actually are providing fantastic outcomes. And whether they want to do it or actually partner with packages that can support them in this area, there is a real need as part of their business plans to have one or the other. You know, and 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 not having that and jumping to specialist could lead to either outcomes that could have been better potentially or them saying no i can't help right now when actually they could have helped and and ultimately you know we've been talking loads and loads within the within the industry about client banks if you're a broker you need to be looking after your client bank how do you look after your client bank provide them a fantastic outcomes you know and and ultimately from that point of view that's where the complex lending classification in my opinion is so important I agree. And Tony, I've got my marketing head on, but for a broker to be able to adapt their website to say, we can help with your more complex situation, it's only going to increase the flow into their business. If they could capitalize on this new category, it's a whole new section of the market and a whole load of borrowers that think they can't do anything because they only look at the mainstream that actually do this properly. There's going to be a lot more people out there who, who will find your brokerage, surely. Look, 100% of the things you don't say you do, you definitely won't get. Yeah, so it's a bit of a bit of a no-brainer if you if your website doesn't explain and articulate how how as a broker they can turn complexity into great outcome, then yeah, they're missing a trick. You're quite right. Um, okay, so we're going to move on then. So I have picked um, the stories today that we're going to talk about because they are products that relate to complex lending and actually talk about situations that are relative um, and some of the markets that you would sort of consider to be uh, complex. So let's jump to the first one. And just a caveat here, this is more of an opinion piece than an article. Um, so I, I want to caveat that right from the start. It's from... Um, excuse me, mortgage introducer. And the title is Why Lenders Criteria is a Challenge for Buy-to-Let Borrowers. And I know you're going to have an opinion on us, Tony, so I, I wanted to put this in. It's all about ICRs, um, but it's overall it's it's just saying that landlords have you know, uh, have got to be aware and we've got to work with landlords. But actually, it's a really buoyant market. And he does say that in this in the article. It doesn't, you know, it's a, it's a flexible and buoyant market. But how... How your opinion on this? I guess. Do you disagree? Agree with him? Um, um, I, I, yeah, I kind of agree. Really, look, it is it, it is a challenging market. It's been a challenging market for ICR requirements since rates started rocketing up a year, you know, a year ago, because uh, the, the the simple calculation of affordability for a landlord and a lender is: do you get enough rent to cover a minimum of 125% of the loan, or 140% or 145%, depending on the lender, depending on the product? So, with with interest rates going up, the ability to hit that hurdle gets mm -hmm. harder. And the only way to do that is to hike your rents, 
which either then gets you rental voids because people can't afford to pay it, or you become too expensive to actually be a landlord because people don't want to rent from you. So he's quite right. It is it is a big hurdle, and it, it remains that way. Um, so that's why the article talks about um, how lenders have started to try and um, – you know, circum not circumvent, but work within the rules because this is all around regulation. Yeah, this isn't just lenders making this up. These are regulatory stipulations. So, how do we make that work? So, you saw last year a raft of um, lower rate, higher fee products, and they've kind of worked. And I'm, I'm Lee will be able to give a far better summary of this working with the brokers that he does. But that's kind of the innovation that started there. But outside of outside of that there's there's i don't know it's 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 interesting the market hasn't innovated beyond that you know you've got other ways to help in these scenarios for the right landlords with top slicing so that's using income outside of their portfolio to support the icr calculation so that's but that's not new innovation it's just there um um and you've you've got things you know people are moving more towards uh more complicated properties so hmos or multi-unit multi-unit freehold blocks because that's where the um that's where the yield is there's no yield in a single ast there's no money in it you won't beat the hurdle so that's the challenge but you then you're starting to reduce the amount of lenders that will do it and if you're a first-time landlord first-time borrower, first-time buyer, it starts to reduce even further in those more specific uh, niche sections. So, but it is a good market. It is strong. Look, what is it? 20% of housing is private rental sector. We're, we're absolutely stuffed without it. And we talk so, about it all the time, don't we? We always talk about the need for it. It's, it's not like it's an option. We need that market. Absolutely. absolutely. So it's been a bit battered over over the last you know years with tax cuts and stamp duty hikes and xyz we we've on record a lot said give it a break it needs a chance to breathe and organically grow now and i think it will start to uh, but it will you know there's a lot of lenders still in this space and there's a lot of lenders solely in buy to let that have to innovate in order to remain relevant which is great we're fortunate that it's part of our overall portfolio mm-hmm. So we're not 100% reliant on the resilience of this market, but it is a strong one for us, particularly expat buy-to-let, which is where our kind of real key point is. But I've talked on a, a lot. I can see Lee nodding, not that the listeners can, so I'm going to let Lee come in be a question that you'll nicely ask him now. No well, I was actually just going to ask him what the market was like in the, in the broker's perspective on it and the challenges that the brokers are facing. So, Lee, I'll, I'll just queue you up with that. I think challenges always creates opportunities as well, and it highlights more of a more of a need to speak to a broker. So, if someone's listening to this and they've got properties themselves or a landlord and they don't deal with a broker, I would definitely suggest that they speak to brokers because that the the wealth of knowledge and experience and and their opportunity their their proposition of having so many lenders leads to them providing potentially much better outcomes. Uh, speaking to the brokers, it's very clear that the market is actually very strong right now. There's very busy. There's a lot of landlords that are actually just looking at how can they improve their portfolio. And then there's others that are actually looking to see, can I buy more? Um, and I think that, like Tony said, HMOs, holiday lets are obviously those that are providing better yields and therefore the market is changing. You know, landlords are looking for properties that they may not have been looking at before um, to obviously make sure that they're getting those yields. But it's busy. It's it's a busy market. And I think that, the like I say, I think that the key thing with a lot of portfolio landlords is making sure their portfolio is working as well as it can for them and, and moving over to, to a, a standard variable rate. You know, nine times out of 10, that's really impacting the rest of the portfolio performance. So therefore, finding the right option as soon as possible is really, really key. And those brokers that work really closely with their landlords are educating them all the time about what's going on in the market. What can they do to help them? Um, I see a lot on social media about that as well, just because obviously their customers are their audience. So I think that it's a really, really um 
it's a really important market that's been looked after very well at the moment i would say by brokers and there are some lenders that are that are that are creating a little bit more initiative uh, and, and, and innovation. I mean, I, I have to give a shout out to Oldermore. I think some of the stuff that they've done recently with their with their um, one application where they could look after a, a multiple units has been has gone down very very well. And 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 then being able to look at an increased rental based on future projected increases. That type of thing has been has gone down very very well in the market. I have to say. Great. Well, actually, I'm going to I'm going to link this to our next story a little bit, actually, because something you just said there, Lee, was the brokers really working with their landlords. And what we're seeing more of now is brokers being working much more closely with the BDMs at, um, at the lenders, which actually leads us very beautifully onto this mortgage strategy piece. I'm, I'm loving the links today, guys. We're doing really well on this. Um, and this is a, I, I love this. Uh, it, the, it's titled What Makes a Good BDM. And it got my attention because um, I, the, the audience won't know, but Tony, Lee, and I um, got together and recorded a video uh, for someone, um, was it last week, week before? Early January. And um, um, we got together and we were filming and we were just talking and, and it was, you know, the role of the BDM and we were talking about the team and Saffron seems grown particularly strongly. And so I saw this and thought, this is really interesting because this is from uh, a sort of summary from October's uh, Mortgage Business Expo. And I thought it was a really good chance for us, Tony, to talk about BDMs because you have, and you say it all the time on this podcast, you say it all the time, every time I see you, you talk about the growth in your team and it has gone, you know, your growth has been exponential in a number of people in your team. But I also think the growth in business and how that can be attributed to the BDMs. And I think it, this article gave me an opportunity to come to you and say, what is in your mind, how have you grown the business through your BDMs and what makes your BDMs as good as they are? Because you can't deny Saffron is becoming more and more known uh, year on year on year. Look, absolutely, and that's around the you know the the, the strength of our team. So we've been we've been building the the um, capacity of the team over the last three years since I three and a bit years since I joined, and we you know we've now got a good we've got fifteen of us, which is superb considering there was two. But it's it's our success is purely down to the BDM, my BDM team, right, to a, to a large degree, because we're not a rate-led lender, we're a solution-led lender, which only can be really achieved by speaking to one of us, yeah? So that's what the team, that's what having that broader team and having that accessibility, um, either feel in the field, you know, on the phone, via live chat, whoever in the team, because I've got, you know, super experts like like lee yeah but you know we've we've got the, the the whole spectrum of the guys on the phone in the office taking those reactive calls from a first-time broker or somebody that needs help but there is equally technically able and that's the key for it all you know lee just adds that extra element and that's as a bdm and his colleagues do because that's what they do our business development managers are not, and this is what the article is saying, are not there to flog a product. They are there to genuinely help you grow your business because mutually we both benefit from that. If we can, as Phil talked about, if we can help you understand how to diversify to capture lost opportunities or lost income because the market's changed, that's the strength of a quality BDM. That's what we do every day. That's what my team do. That's why we have grown our business in the areas that we want to grow in so well, because I've got talented people out there having those conversations, either on a reactively or more and more so, more importantly, proactively. Go and help people grow their business. That's that's our very, very straightforward challenge. So that's why it's worked, because I've got a group of people that, are genuinely nosy, genuinely want to help, and are technically able to do so. They've got on a, you know, our, my strategic objective for my team this year is to make sure that they're all viewed and seen as the go-to technical expert for complex lending in our market. And that's not because of product pricing or even criteria, because criteria can be matched right and product pricing can be matched but how we do what we do is purely down to us and that's what my team do so well um so that 
That's the key, mate, really. And, and actually, it goes back, I just said about marketing, but I, uh, I think marketing and communication. Lee, I'm going to pick on you for a minute because I, I work in marketing, I work Thanks. in social media, and I know you're a great BDM. I know you're a lovely person. You're very easy to go on with. I'm sure brokers love you. Love but this I love your LinkedIn, not going to lie. Oh. Uh, uh, there's always your, your mug in a cartoon form or there's something animated or something jumping around that gets my attention. I think I can only be Lee. But... What I wanted to, to draw with you as a media, I'm not trying to blow smoke anywhere, but I do want to sort of address some of these things that, that this article says, like, you know, they can't get hold of the BDMs on the phone. They don't get the spot they need, don't have enough BDMs. I mean, that's that's because of the financial climate. But there are other ways of letting brokers know the BDMs are out there. And, and your use of social media is a good example. But also, like, you do on-the-spot events for brokers and things like that as well, don't you, with your, your BDM partner at Saffron. Maybe just talk about why you do that and how that's helping. I think, I think the key thing of why I do it is because I, I need, I, I guess my drive is to make sure that as many brokers are aware of what we do and how we do it. Because what we do, I'm obviously biased, is brilliant. And what we do and provides outcomes to customers with those complex scenarios where we've got that middle ground rate. We're not we're not competing with the with the high street, but we're not we're not jumping to the specialists like we were saying before. So being in the market that we're in really can be really beneficial to understand because actually it's a really good conversation to have with customers. Um, so my, my my big driver is I want everybody ideally to know saffron. For intermediaries i want them to know why we do what we do how we do what we do and where we fit within their business plan and their client bank and platforms like social media you know with linkedin is such a good way because my my reach is much bigger than me being sat on the phone going can i just talk to you about this when actually they might just see me scroll it they might when they're scrolling and and i've had phone calls off the back of that a week or two or even a month or two later where they go oh i seen that you said something about cis contractors can i have a chat with you about that because i've actually got one now on my desk and i don't know what to do with it and sometimes that could just be a really good educational piece about how they can be looked at and the views of being able to look at it it might be that it leads to yeah do you know that's something we can do but I think that the key thing is any of these sorts of things or events is just spreading that word, being able to be able to talk to brokers because our biggest struggle as a BDM, I think anyway, is, is making cust uh, brokers aware of what we do, updates, because they're just so busy. You know, their to-do lists are off the scale, especially at the moment. I'm talking to brokers and they're just constantly busy. And from that point of view, that's a really good market to be in, but equally you want to maximize every opportunity. So us having that chance to obviously be able to spread the word in multiple different platforms is really, really important. Just for the sake of balance, um, if you do read the article in Morgan Strategy, you'll see there's lots of building sites and other lenders in there talking about the BDM teams and the strengths of them. So, you know, we, we might seem a little um, unbalanced at the moment, but there are some really good BDMs out there. And I think... Every lender has got their stars that stand out and, and, and they are becoming more and more vital to to brokers. Believe just quickly, because it's something we discussed and it's really important to bring this out, you are also valuable to a packager because actually you are their go-to. So actually an entire bank of brokers, if you like, can have access to your skills through a, a, another you know sort of intermediary company. Uh, absolutely. And I, and, I, and I can't say this enough because brokers where they look at what we do and how we uh, uh, the type of borrowing we do but some brokers will look at it and go that's not my bag i'm not interested they might look at a self build and go it's not for me um but that doesn't mean that that should limit your business you know so working with packages and i talk to packages day in day out so ultimately they've got that whether that be direct or via a third party but packages are a key in a market like this. If you're not going to do it yourself, but you're obviously going to be advertising in that area, you've got a partner that's ready to work with you. So it's, it's brilliant. And from a capacity point of view, it can be a fantastic resource. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an absolute advocate for packages when you don't want to deal with it yourself. When you do, absolutely, you've, you've got us. We'll work with you. Absolutely. But when you don't and you look at the type of lending, you say, that's not really for me. I'm busy enough in other areas. Fair enough. Absolutely. I totally get it. But if that's not 
something you're going to grow into at least make sure that you're you're able to still capture those customers because actually those needs where they still want to deal with you a packager would still be able to help and and effectively it's an extra resource brilliant so you've got a whole bank of people now that you lee obviously i just picked on lee's social media but they're they're all such varied characters um what do you think makes your team stand out what do you think it is that that you think you look and think do you know what that's a cracking team and it, and is it like diversity of the characters that you've got is it you know the fact that you've separated them around the country or the fact you've paired them up i mean you might want to explain that because i've said that twice now but you know do you think there's a model or do you think you've just naturally evolved into what you have no, I think it's, I suppose, like anything in life, you, you, you tend to build something in your own image or what you like. And and, and, and and so for me as an individual, and I'm sure people will either be throwing stuff at their smart devices listening to this, it's all about um, relationships. It's all about um, understanding each other, but it's all about honesty and transparency. So we're not, we're not here to just make you feel great. We're here to um, do great things. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it, it won't. So that that's the key. I've got a bunch of people where I say we have to conform to what our business does, right? Because you can't. We I'll be look. I'm going to be really candid here, right? We ran a training session to help people present better for all my team, and it was a really good session. I'm sure Lee will agree. But my feedback following the first one was with a couple of them. I didn't know I was talking about the same lender, okay, because there was a different approach, okay? So that taught us that actually we need some conformity in what we talk about, but we've got individually individuality in how we do it. So what I don't want is a broker having a conversation with Lee then a conversation with Leslie or Jackie or Simon and, and having a different outcome because it shouldn't be. But how they arrive at that outcome through their own personal style is entirely up to them. That's what makes Saffron for Intermediaries BDM stand out because it's all about individual personal style, okay? That's the key thing. The other key thing I think I just want to link to with this article is it's it's great that we help you grow your business from that mindset, but it's also how do we broker this relationship between you and our underwriters? And that's what is the other thing that makes a BDM really stand out is how do they portray or help you portray your message as a broker to the decision maker? And that's what that's where BDMs either crash and burn or excel because they they bridge that gap. And the one way that we do that, and we talk about this a lot, is our broker surgery. So that half nine call every day where there is, if there's uncertainty on a deal that we think it meets our policy, but we're just not quite sure, we don't want to put you to trouble of dipping something, they go and have that conversation. But it isn't just a conversation that says, oh, we do this. They'll put together a story and a summary that explains why we should do it, okay? Because the one thing I make it really clear with my team is you shouldn't be taking something that you know we won't do. You should just be saying no and moving on because that's what your broker wants, yeah? They'll accept that you're not going to say yes to everything. And as long as you do that in a timely fashion, that's cool. But go to that meeting with a full story of having all the questions asked before that to in order to help influence the decision. And that's the difference that a BDM makes. And that's what my team pretty much do most of the time. We don't always get it right, but that's that's the difference. So that's it's all about individuality, but consistency in service delivery, that's what makes us stand out. And I'm sure that if you lined all mine up, brokers would say that. They'd say lots of different things about their personality, but they'd say the same thing about their consistency, which is trusted, knowledgeable, guaranteed to help me. That's the difference. Great. I think that pretty much sums it up. Good stuff. Okay, let's move on. Um, for the sake of the audience, uh, Paul Phil is having internet connection issues, so can't currently join us for the podcast. We will get him back on if we can. Uh, so if you, I'm not ignoring him. If anyone wonders, we have, we have lost him for just a few months. So we'll try and get him back. So let's let's move on anyway to a, a property industry eye story, which is from a little time back, a couple of months back. But it caught my attention because we talk about this all the time, and it's actually a bit of a sort of delve into self-employed workers and their fear of rejection 
uh, when applying for a mortgage. I think it's really important that we look at this, um, mainly because we talk about it all the time. But I think this survey really does kind of give you a a kind of insight into the to the self-employed themselves and what they're feeling, what they're thinking. Um, Tony, being self-employed, it, it falls very beautifully into this new complex lending category to a degree, depending on their circumstances, doesn't it? I mean, it, yes, you can get a self-employed mortgage, you get a mortgage, sorry, you can get a mortgage if you're self-employed from your mainstream lenders, but actually the more complex that self-employed income is or the more complex their, their situation is, that's where you know you guys and, and other societies and, and lenders will will step up. So just maybe talk about what some of the self-employed have faced and what you've done to address that. Um, yeah, so self-employed and supporting that market is a is a big one for us. And that's why we've we've grown our self-employed lending by I think it's seven hundred and fifty percent in the last few years. Okay. Um, and that's because we categorize our self-employed in two different ways. So we have our specialist product, which is um, for, um, I should say complex rather than specialist now, shouldn't I? So that's old habits. We have our complex product, which enables those who are recently self-employed, i.e. one year, um, which a lot of the high street or a lot of lenders won't, don't, won't want to see that one year. So that's something we've done to help people who are, who a lot of people move to self-employment post-COVID. Um, are coming to the end of their first year, etc., and want to get on with life and build a house, buy a house, move a house, and therefore that's how we can help support them in that area because we only require twelve months and then a a uh, um, uh, a projection from their accountant that shows that we can trust that one year is not a one off, so to speak. But we also use that product to help those customers who have seen big jumps in their income or have some fluctuations in their income, but and want to use the latest year, a lot of lenders will look at that and average out. We'll actually, if we can get comfortable, say, no, we can understand that. Your, your glide path's going that way. We can we can do with that. So that's fine. The other way is, I'll just start, if you've got two years self-employment, we class you as a standard residential customer. And therefore, we'll we'll assess you, but we'll assess your income in different ways. And I'll, I'll defer to Lee so he can talk more about this in terms of how, how specifically we can help. Um, but that's really it. We've provided um, a range of adaptable solutions to support the self-employed. That's because we recognize it's such an important part of the market. And nobody looking at this article and the research we did via YouGov last year, 75% of self-employed didn't think they could get a mortgage, which is just absolutely wrong. But if that's what they believe, perception's reality. So that's why we always challenge ourselves as lenders and challenging brokers. Again, what do you say about how you can help those people, how you can help the self-employed? If you're not saying it, don't expect them to realise that you can do it. So I think that's the key, but I will defer to Lee for more more support on how we can really help. Go on, Lee. Okay, I, I think I think just following on from the perception of the market, though, um, obviously we did this YouGov research and it highlighted that uh, a third of customers that took part felt that their broker did not understand them or their business um, well enough. And in turn, the brokers that I've been speaking to would probably say that actually the lenders don't want to know beyond the figures that they can see. And I think that's where our proposition is different. We don't want to just purely base it on the figures that we can see on the accounts. What we want to do is get to know them and their business via obviously the broker to see how we can support them with their lending. And actually, like like Tony said, there's going to be situations where they are on a glide path that we can get comfortable with that other lenders potentially wouldn't be comfortable with. Um, and that's where we can really support. It's that adaptive underwriting to understand the situation. And I, I completely understand where, you know, my, my dad's self-employed. He's always got this preconceived idea that, that he, would, he would struggle to get a mortgage or it'd be tougher. Um, this research highlighted that. But actually, in, in some situations, obviously, there's different paperwork. I think that, again, we were talking about complex lending and this being its own classification. I think this highlights it even more so, again, because if I were to say to some brokers, do you see self-employed as specialist? They would say no. But then there will be some situations where they're dealing with specialist lenders for the fact that they're self-employed. 
And actually that middle ground of complex is where we could potentially get an outcome at a lower rate and actually be able to, to look at it in the way that they need to. So I think the classification really, really helps to understand that as well, because, you know, some brokers do say that they specialize in this area and they will then be using the complex lending market. But there's many that would go jump from high street to specialist because that's the way that they have done with, I don't know, adverse and other things. And that's the way that the market is pre- 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 perceived. Um, and obviously customers, the key thing there is customers want to be heard. And I think mm-hmm. the brokers are there listening. And, and what's interesting with the survey is I, we don't know from this survey how many customers have dealt with brokers and how many have dealt direct with their bank. I would, I would assume personally, it's only my own personal opinion, but I think that those customers have probably dealt direct with a bank rather than dealt with a broker. Because I think this is where a broker really does want to, in the main, want to get to know what fits behind those figures. And that's why I'm such a champion for brokers. Uh, and, and I couldn't agree more. Actually, I was going to bring this up because I, I've seen this in, in my own personal life with my own sister who is self-employed in exactly that. But it was it was down generation across peer groups. One person at some point has been rejected by the bank and it's it becomes like Chinese whispers, like it's never going to happen. So they will rent and rent and rent until somebody one day says, well, I used a broker and I got one, but we, we shouldn't be waiting years for that poor potential purchaser to be, be get that information. We need to get more out there. And I think there's a lot to be said for yeah all, all lenders and brokers to market out but i think there's also you know an industry-wide perception that needs to change and i think you know that, that we, we're in a situation where i think yeah the chinese whispers have taken over and so actually some of these respondents have just listened to what people have told them and thought i'm not even going to bother looking yeah it's and like so that old know. analogy isn't it when they say they go down to the pub and they speak to a friend and a friend had a problem you know i think i, I do agree i think that's the case but I do think that marketing, you know, you mentioned LinkedIn because obviously I'm a, an advocate of LinkedIn. Um, you know, I like to shout about what we do and how we do it. I think the brokers, you know, across all social media platforms, you know, everybody's going to have. And I've always said when marketing, it's really key to understand your audience and you will have different audiences on different platforms. And as brokers, understanding your platforms and your audiences on those platforms could lead to you going actually i know that on i don't know facebook tiktok whatever it may be i'm going to get the majority of my self-employed customers and therefore i need to be educating them to understand i've just helped this customer who needed to consider the most recent year after a massive uplift and this is what it meant to them it's great marketing from something that they've already done and let's face it yeah. Who buys? <clears throat> Everybody buys from listening to customer surveys. You know, not not. My wife's a classic example. She'll look at a review. She won't listen to my opinion, but she'll look at a review and go, "Oh yeah, we get that." And I'm like, "Well, I might have had a different opinion, but the reviews say we should." Uh, and not to forget case studies. Yes, love a case study. Exactly. Yeah, just to plug one, there's a great one on, on LinkedIn today by somebody, I think, called Lee uh, Williams, I'm, I think. I'm, I'm quite pleased with that, yeah. I hadn't seen that, so I wasn't a deliberate no, plug. I was not, okay, yeah, no, perfect no, sorry, I hadn't seen that one. No, perfect timing. The point, the point I was just going to make there, to Lee's point, is around using um, the like trust pilot or smart smart money people surveys as part of your business strategy, because we all we all buy things based on the star rating from holidays to a pair of socks to the next um, Chinese meal. Yeah, we don't we don't research anything else now. But what somebody else has said that we've never met, we don't know their values, we don't know what their ultimate aims are, and we go. That'll do for me. Mm-hmm. So, as a, as a business again, how are you using that to get your message across to the right people? You know, it is so important. Again, one hundred percent of the times you don't tell somebody you do something, they will never use you. So, it's really important how we support and help this market because fear rejection is not needed in the for the self employed. And, and just back on, sorry, go to go back to case studies. One of the things that I really want to stress and something I've been stressing to my clients for the last 20 years is get a comment 
from the case study themselves, the person who purchased the person who built whatever. Um, because it, you put yourself in their shoes. You see a little bit of your situation and you think, oh, that's what, that's what it's needed. That's where self-build and, and grand designs, you know, you, they, and the people aspirations, but they see themselves. They think, I could do that. I could be this. I could be that. I've got that amount of money. I could do that. I would do that better. I could project that manager better. You know, it's, it's about putting people in you know they put them into the case study they suddenly think that's my situation that's what i want that's the right broker for me and i think you know so yeah uh, marketing preach a lot of marketing preach going on in this um podcast this time well, i'm not surprised though i honestly expected that because of the fact that we're talking about complex lending and i think that mm-hmm. the opportunities in complex lending are huge and therefore you know brokers and firms need to be marketing to that to highlight actually i can help you don't worry. Just talk yeah. to me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, just so um, brokers listening will know, it's estimated. Uh, uh, sorry, it's estimated by the July twenty twenty three, four point two four million people in the UK were self employed. So it just shows how much that's grown. Um, I mean, I'm a prime example. Tony will know. Uh, I now I'm now self employed. I wasn't when we met. Um, and I, you know, I took the opportunity and I, I, much the same as everyone else has done, the pandemic probably kicked me up the butt to do something I should have done years ago. Um, and so, yeah, let's go now. I'm going to move on, uh, because we are running very drastically out of time. Uh, sadly, Phil still hasn't joined us. So Phil, if you're listening, sorry, mate, but we will get you back on next month as normal. Um, seems to be some techie issues, like everyone's working from home on a Friday or something, isn't it? Um, we're recording on a Friday. Okay, we're moving on. Tony, to something you love, and we've already brought it up actually. But I, I also love, and uh, we do, we had a little chat just before um, we started this podcast, and you know, and I was thinking actually before I bought my house, I would have probably preferred to build my own or, or a custom build. So let's move on to self build and custom build. Um, Tony, uh, you can explain your credentials in this area in a minute, but. What really got my attention on this survey was the three quarters of self-builders are over 55, which I think we're missing something here because, oh yeah, okay, we're, we're older, we're aspirations, we've got a bit more money. Yes, we want to we wanna build a home or, or construct a home how we want it. But actually, why can't we have that aspiration and why can't we do it at a younger age, even as a first-time buyer? Is that possible? Yes, absolutely possible. Um, it's just it's not it, it, the markets. If you read the full report, you know the markets or another reports that that we've sponsored recently around custom build, particularly, which is probably the opportunity for the younger builder. Um, it's just the awareness and the engagement with this market is not seen, and that's largely no through no fault, but programs like Grand Designs, yeah. Because all everybody sees self-build as this huge, um, costly, complicated process that invariably goes wrong. Yeah. Well, that's because it's on TV, right? No one wants a project that goes to plan because that's really dull to watch, isn't it? Oh, look, their costings were bang on. It all worked on time, and they're in on time. Isn't that great? Snooze fest. Let's go for the person. There's no plans. Runs out of money. And he's building, building a seventeen a seventeen bedroom house on the side of a cliff. Yeah, yeah like they, they yeah. just that's yeah. the perception. Building, yeah, building out of cabbage leaves <laughs> and straw, you know, and then there's a donkey on site. You know, it's like uh, that's exciting stuff, but it, it's not what the market's all about. So that doesn't help. The age thing is, yeah, because largely um, it is once you get to that period position of more more financial assets in your background, you can consider thinking doing something like this. So I understand that. Um, but to your question, yes, there's a huge opportunity for, for, for younger people to get on this ladder. And, and I see it particularly as one route to solving this eternal housing shortage crisis we have in the UK. For lots of reasons. One, um, a little known fact outside of the market, and we're trying to promote it, is self-building is the fourth largest house builder in Britain. Outside of three of the main, you know, main uh, building firms, um, self-build with its 13,000 houses a year being built is fourth. So it's a growing market, but we're way behind Europe. We're way behind the rest of the world um, massively. Um, so as an example, I think we're at 7% of all our houses. Germany is 51%, I think, at the moment of houses built, but self-commissioned. So 
huge opportunity for people. Custom build is uh, probably a better way in, which is a house enabled by a, uh, a, a developer where you um, get to choose the layout and lots of stuff with inside it, but you're not having the hassle of taking on the whole project and managing it yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's an easier route through and that, that needs to be done. But there are a few challenges to all of this one is that awareness piece two is local authorities and the right to build legislation which is so they all have a statutory right to provide um enough housing to support the people who are signing up to their registry as it says on here they've got um i can't remember it on here but you know x amount of people signing up to the registry the right to build registered per local authority which tells the local authority what the demand is what they have to then find however the challenge at the moment is how to get on that registry is different by local authority so depending on the on the benchmarks they put in place allows you to get onto their list so they can go well no one's on our list we don't have to provide any any building plots it's because they've made it a really difficult list to get on so there is some change is needed to building legislation in order to develop this but it's there and the good the other good thing so i'll I'll let lee have a word in a sec but i'm particularly passionate uh, about this area as as being a director of naxpa which is the national custom and self-build association so i'm particularly um passionate about this area the other good thing about self-build and custom build is it's greener and it's better for the local economy mm-hmm. yeah houses are built with better standards they're built with local uh, tradesmen and they're largely trying to be built with local uh, producers of the of local manufacturers so they're proven to be better all around but uh, the planning reform needs to kind of grow out so that people can do this and, and there's more awareness of it definitely lee I'm going to come to you. We're going to use that word again, uh, which is complex, but in a slightly different way. (laughs) It's a a more complex product we're going to talk about this time, as opposed to the situation. Obviously, the situation is complex too, but it's a complex product. Do you think that has sort of kept brokers away from it a little bit because they don't really understand it? They probably didn't have the education they needed to, to kind of sell it to the customers, and therefore we can't see the growth that, as Tony was saying, we really need to see and want to see in this country. Do you think there's a... Do you think there's an underlying fear of the product? I, I think that is part of it. Don't get me wrong. I do think that brokers, you know, and there's be some that will have that inquiry and be able to deal with it straight away. Some that will go, right, I've, I've, I've got a, a package, a partner that I work with, and they're going to help me with this, and they get on with it. There will be some that will say they can't do it, or they might not be able to see that it's possible. Um, and, and I think that the big part of this is about obviously awareness, but also confidence. If you're wanting younger people to build their own property, whether that be custom build or self build, confidence is key. And the only way a, a customer is going to do that, in my opinion, is the broker the broker giving that confidence because a big part of it is how do they fund it, you know? Um, and, and having that confidence, having that support will lead to more and more being built. I have no doubt in my mind that that'd be the case. Mm-hmm. So I suppose there's one thing that I would challenge a, a broker that's listening to this is if you don't have a proposition or a packager that you're working with and it you don't you either feel like it could float your boat you speak to us if you feel like it might not then speak to a packager i'd be more than happy to tell you the packages that we work really closely with because things like marketing and them being able to then refer it over and being able to pass it over knowing what they do and how they do it is massive in terms of being able to give confidence so mm-hmm. awareness is one thing but them knowing that it's out there they need to know who they can lean on and confidence is such a big thing. And if they don't have builders that are family members and things like that, that they know that they can go to and speak to about it, they feel like it's a non-starter when they may have funds in the bank that they can actually do this. And the outcomes that we see from South Build is just amazing. You know, I did a case study. I just had to use this as my first case study on LinkedIn this morning because it based the outcome was them building a property that they would never be able to have afforded 
that the end value of this property is not what they would have been able to have got. Mm-hmm. What they're putting into it, what they're borrowing is giving them a property, a family property that is their family home, their dream family home. That would have taken loads and loads of steps to get anywhere near that. So I think it just highlights the outcome is amazing, but the the broker has a big part to play. Don't get me wrong. I think absolutely, you know, and, and education is key, but it doesn't need to be that you need to be, the, the broker needs to be there for everybody. I think it just needs to be that I know that if this inquiry comes in, I know who I can work with um, and actually be able to give that support and confidence. If they do want to deal with it, absolutely, that's brilliant. But I think that that's the key thing with this is it should never lead to a dead end. And my question would be, are there times where it leads to a dead end? Yeah, absolutely. I was just, um, hopefully Phil might be able to join us for the last couple of minutes, I believe. Um, So he might come back on in a second. Um, I was going to say something really profound, but I've just had a senior moment. I've completely forgotten what it is I was going to say. It was that profound. Uh, Actually, no, I've remembered now. There you go. It needed that 10 seconds of, um, of brain fog. Um, just talking about what Lee was saying, and one of the uh, bit of research done by um, Naxpo and the um, uh, National Self-Build Renovation Centre, um, oh, here's Phil, he's back, was that um, in their surveys, two-thirds of surveyed people said that they didn't want to buy a house from a big builder yeah however 80 percent of all housing is built by big builders so um that's that's the challenge we have and and again you know it's it's that engagement and that awareness and that's why we have to help brokers with we've got a self-build guide so that gives them every single tip as to how to help their client and we're just bringing out a custom build one as well because there are some slight nuances in that market. Um, so Phil, uh, Lee's right. It's all about um, having the confidence to have a go at this from a broker perspective, knowing that there's lenders there, not just us, but lots of lenders out there that can help help them. And for for customers, it's not as challenging as you think. Great conversation. Tony, where can uh, we send people to find information about Southern Customer. I, pre- I presume the Southern for Intermediaries website is one and then Naxpo website the other? Yeah, uh, definitely. There's there's a load of help and information on, on the Naxpo website. Um, so that's that's worth worth a look. As I said, if you if you if 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 you want to know more, speak to one of the team. They will help point you in the right direction. As I said, our guide is extremely useful and will go go through step by step the whole process whether you use us or not it doesn't matter it's an educational guide that says this is how to properly structure a self-built deal for your client these are the things to consider there we go uh we're running out of time but just before we go uh lee i want to say thank you for joining us as our special guest this month thank you that was really really enjoyable and we'll have you back We'll have you back in our brand new format. So from this is February. So from March 2024, we're going in a studio. We're going to be um, getting rid of these technical issues that poor old Phil has suffered today with them being at home. But we're going to be uh, in a studio. The podcast will be released on all your favorite podcast channels, just as ever. But we're going to have to have a shave and do our hair, and, and maybe the women are going to do their hair and put some makeup on, whatever how it's going to be. Try not to be sexist. I might put some makeup on too. Um, but we'll be in the studio, um, and it will be That's a visual terrible. podcast available on Spotify and available on the Saffron for Intermediaries YouTube channel every month. So we're going to get the same interaction, same format, exactly the same, but the only difference is we'll be sat opposite each other, which I think Tony... Um, uh, Phil, I think just really will uplift what we're doing. I mean, we've always been remote. We're a bit sort of pandemic, pandemic-y still, yeah, aren't we? On the road. Of, yeah, it was sort of COVID webinar podcast done now. So it's all about just upping this um, and ensuring the the quality and the the um, 
interaction between ourselves and our guests is there, which the studio will definitely provide us. It's really exciting. And uh, Lee, Tony and uh, I had a little test run, but poor old Phil hasn't been in there yet. But uh, Tony, Lee and I had a, a, a run in there. And uh, aside from the lengthy editing time, because it was such good quality audio and video, um, it actually uh, came out in... in saying that we talk too much, Lee. That's what he's basically saying. For March 2024, so we are our first video podcast. So keep an eye on Saffron for Intermediaries, LinkedIn channel, Lee's channel, because he's always on it. Uh, Tony, Phil, and I will share it as well. And we'll see you on our first video podcast, which will be released on the 1st of March. So for February, it's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from the team. Bye.